All right, we are in our week four of our series on Ecclesia, looking at the church, and we've walked through kind of what is the church, what is the, the mission and the purpose of the church, and next week we are going to kind of walk through um, the, the finances of the church for 2020. We're not going to spend a, a long time on it. I know some of you guys, when it comes to finances, you're like, I'm done. Uh, yeah, I, I check out when it comes to that. Um, five, ten minutes, walk through what the church looked like in 2020. I'll just give you a little snip. We had a great year, considering what happened in the world in 2020. Um, it's amazing how God still took care of us and provided for us um, as a church in, in this past year. So I look forward to to walking you through that next week. And uh, today's going to be a little bit of a change of pace in sermon as we continue through Ecclesia. The last few weeks have been a little bit more informational. Today I want to challenge you um, a little bit more um, from the standpoint of you look at the church and what has happened in America over the last year. Over the last year, what's happened is the church in America has gotten leaner. But I believe that God is strengthening his church. I've read quite a few articles over the last several months that have talked about interviewing pastors and churches that says their attendance is down 30 to 40 percent since coming back from coronavirus. And it's been unreal to look at how these even mega churches that go from four and five services down to one or two services, how... Satan has used a lot of this to try to destroy the church. But these pastors go on to say, we've now got a smaller congregation, but we feel like we have a congregation that's on mission. A congregation that's ready to carry out the mission of God. And pastors that are more encouraged now than ever because they have people that are bought in and sold out to the mission of God, even though they may be smaller in size, they're meaner in their fight to accomplish the mission. And I want that to be said about us, that we are a church that people know us because of the love for our community and our desire for God's name to be glorified in our church, in our community, and around the world. Today's sermon will be a little different. We're going to look at, in Revelation, let me give you a little background here. Christ has come to this earth. He's died, risen, gone back to heaven. He has his disciples. One of his disciples, John, is one of the last living disciples on earth at the time of the book of Revelation being written. And the first few chapters of Revelation are written to churches that were planted by John or his followers um, in Asia Minor, Greece, that kind of Mediterranean area. And one of those churches was in a city named Laodicea. And Laodicea was a city that on at least two occasions was destroyed by tremendous earthquakes. And on the two occasions, this city did in fact fall. But rather than accepting money from the Roman government, they were a very proud people, a very rich people. They instead rebuilt their own city with their own money. You're looking at a city that was on a major trade route along the Mediterranean, a very incredibly wealthy city, a lot of affluence, 
A lot of rich people lived here, placed strategically in the Mediterranean. And there was a church here that was planted in Laodicea. We see this wealth indicated through a lot of archaeology. You know, archaeologists have dug up. There was two major amphitheaters in this city. Most cities didn't even have one. This one had two. One that sat perhaps 12,000, another one that sat around 8,000. That just shows you how affluent they were, that they, they were, had two centralized entertainment centers. And these overlooked this majestic valley. This was a city of opulence, a city of great wealth. Highly educated, influential, important, significant cities. Now the result of this with these people in Laodicea is they become very haughty, very proud, very self-sufficient. Very rich, prosperous, powerful city. They had all of the best food, all of the best drink, all of the best entertainment. They were living in some, lar- some of the largest homes, the most affluent lifestyle. That is Laodicea. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in today's passage. God speaking through the prophet John, and John rec- recording this for us in Scripture, gives a message to the church at Laodicea. This would have been somewhere between 70 and 90 A.D. And we'll see what Jesus has to say to the church at Laodicea. Jesus is here communicating from heaven. And he, is acknowledged, and he has knowledge of everything that's going on in, on earth, including what is happening here at this church. So here is his particular word for these people in Revelation chapter 3. And the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretch, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may be clothed yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and self to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Now, the other six letters to the other churches that are written here in Revelation, you can go and read those. Some of those have encouraging words, where Jesus is saying, you're doing great, keep up the good work. I love what I'm seeing here, but in this one to the church at Laodicea that we just read, there's no really encouraging words. He has a number of rebukes for them, and even consequences if they don't 
if they don't stop their disbelief, and if they disobey. The first is, he says that they are a lukewarm church. How many of you guys in here are coffee or tea drinkers? Come on. That's a vast majority of you drink either a coffee or a tea. How many of you guys like your tea cold? I love a good cold iced tea. How many like drinking hot tea? Hot tea? Hot coffee? There we go. Hands go up with the hot coffee. Any iced coffee drinkers? A few of you? All right, so let me ask you this. How many of you guys like a lukewarm coffee? Oh, I don't, I, oh, one hand? How many of you guys like a lukewarm tea? Maybe that's like diluted from the ice melting into it? Ugh. It's nasty, isn't it? It's gross. Jesus here, he's looking at the context of culture, and he's trying to find a way to communicate to people in a way that will be gripping to them so they would understand. And he says basically this, you know every morning when you wake up and you don't have hot water and you can't make your coffee, you can't make your tea, and you put it in your mouth, that lukewarmness, and you're complaining and frustrating because that lukewarm tea and coffee is just so unpleasant. Jesus says, your church in Laodicea, you guys are just like that to me. That's some strong words, isn't it? That's some strong words to think about. It's just lukewarm. It's not hot. And the heat here is reference to a passion, an enthusiasm, a devotion, a sacrifice to the mission of God. That's what he's referring to here when he talks about being hot. Jesus is saying, you're just lukewarm. That's all you are. It's just displeasing to me. And it's as, and just as you will, you know, you spit out that lukewarm coffee, you're like, oh, that coffee's gross. Let me go get a, a fresh pot or a hot coffee. Jesus says, just like you spit out that lukewarm drink, I'm spitting you out of my mouth if you don't repent. If you don't turn from your wicked ways, if you don't come back to me, he's trying here to capture their understanding of, of he wants them to understand what it's like to be God and to understand how disgusting lukewarmness is to God. For them, their, their functional saviors are saviors that cannot save them. They have come to looking at success, the saviors of comfort, the saviors of pleasure, the saviors of provision. And so the real issue here is one of they are worshiping comfort instead of worshiping Christ. Christ is calling them to do that which is for them uncomfortable and they would rather have something that is comfortable than Christ. We can look at them and we can judge and we can say, yes, what a haughty, rich, proud people those Laodiceans are. And let me tell you, there are many people in our world that would look at us Americans and say, look at how rich, haughty, those American Christians are pride-filled, rich people. We today live in such affluence and a lifestyle that is really unparalleled in the history of the world. We live in a world that values 
comfort, and I would say after this last year, we live in a world that values safety over the worship of our Christ. We have Chinese Christians who aren't worried about those things. They come together in parks or home groups to worship Christ together, knowing that at any moment the government could bust down the doors because their neighbor next door has ratted them out to the local precinct and be carried off away to prison for their worship of Christ. Their safety does not matter to them. We're, not, we're really not worried, most of us, about whether or not we'll have clothes to wear tomorrow, water to drink, food to eat. We're really not worried today as we worship here together outside whether or not the government's going to come and shut us down. We know that it's not going to happen. We come here in our comfort and our safety. And it can lead us to a place of lethargy. Where heaven doesn't feel like home. And we feel like this earth is good enough for us. There's not a desire for the things of God. Where Christ is not whom we live for, but comfort is what we live for. And Jesus comes and he says, though everything is going well physically and materially, I'm very concerned for you spiritually because you have chosen comfort over me. So I want to ask us just a few questions to kind of do some self-inventory today so that we don't just hear about the Laodiceans and then arrogantly stand back and judge them, but instead we humbly learn from them knowing that we have the tendencies and we're prone to be just like them. If we don't do that, we just end up reading the Bible like religious people and judge others rather than worshipers who allow scripture to judge ourselves. Because that's what we need to do when we open scriptures. Look at it and say, God, please allow your word to pierce my heart and allow it to change me. So I think some questions we need to ask as we come to this passage of the church of Laodicea is, what is your relationship with Jesus? Ask yourself that this morning. What is my relationship with Jesus? Would you say your relationship is cold? I just don't care. Is it lukewarm? You don't care, care very much, or is it hot? You really do love Jesus, and you're motivated to get to know him better, to walk with him, and by grace become more like him. Are you cold or hot? I would say we have a country full of cultural Christians who have been lukewarm for generations, and this last year has been shifting making the move of shifting away from that. No longer are people identifying as Christians. No longer are people, do they feel safe coming to a church. And sadly, what happens in, is in Christianity, lukewarmness is accommodated, and we just compare ourselves to those who are icy cold, and we say, well, I'm just not as bad as they are. Instead of looking at Scripture, we're looking at other people and judging ourselves wrongly. So what is your relationship with Jesus? Are you hot? If you're not hot, ask yourself why or what do I need to do to change my passion for the word 
of God. Number two, what things keep you hot for God? Do you carve time out? Do you safeguard that time? Some of you say it's, you know, I, I, I love reading my Bible. It's my prayer time. It's my fellowship with God's people. It's sitting under the preaching of the Word. Some of you might say, you know what, Pastor? I really get into, like, journaling and recording my thoughts as I read Scripture. All of those things are great. Maybe it's the, the laptop. Some of you guys just like to pound away at the keyboard as you record your thoughts from where you are and what God is teaching you. Some of you would have different ways that you would describe your, 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 your relationship with Jesus and how you keep it fresh and hot. And whatever that is for you, I would ask you, how is that going? Are you safeguarding that? Are you protecting that? Or are you allowing yourself to slip into lukewarmness? Number three, what comforts keep you from being hot for God? Sometimes it's comforts over Christ. We say, well, I should read, but I would rather do something else. We live in a world of distractions, don't we? Mainly this, oh, what's, oh, I just got a push notification. Oh, let's see what's on my iPad. Something that's always capturing our attention and sometimes it's just anything else but the word of God consuming our goods and services filling our belly taking our naps what are those things that keep you from having that passion of knowing God more are you icy cold or lukewarm you need to look at people and things that keep you from being hot for God and say, is it worth it? Is this distraction worth me not knowing God in a greater way? Number four, what parts of your life lack any sense of urgency? And that's what really I think Jesus is getting at here. He's saying there's just no sense of urgency. That's why you've become lukewarm. The lukewarmness often comes when there's no sense of urgency for repentance, for growth, for others to meet Jesus, for forward progress in the church. He goes on to say as well that he, he, that he wants to be in the church. And I know that many of us have heard this, this passage before in relation to salvation. This, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know, usually that's told as a great evangelism, evangelistic verse, but Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here today. I want to be a part of your church. I'm knocking at the door. I want to have that relationship with you individually, with you as a church, and you've locked me out for the comforts of this life. So here's this image of our Lord Jesus standing outside, banging on the door of the church, that has the Christian name up on the sign. And they open the people, I like to think about this image, and they say, who is it? And Jesus says, it's me, your Lord and Savior. And they're like, no, we don't take your kind here. You're going to tell us to sacrifice our time, our money, our energy, our reputation 
for the things that you want, Jesus, but we've got this nice little social club that's happening here with some very important people that have some degrees, these people that have some rims on their chariots, and we just want to have our nice little social club here. So we're deadbolting the door to your teachings and continuing with what we want. There are so many churches like that, and it's tragic when we start talking about Jesus. So many people get offended. But at Bethel, it's all about Jesus. Jesus from beginning to end. Jesus, the hope for people is Jesus. The help for people is Jesus. The healing for people is Jesus. Christianity is not a lifestyle or a social club or a way of living that is moral and upright, that is good and whole for the family. It is really is meeting with Jesus, having him take our sin, give us his righteousness, fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we're hot for God and by the grace of God we grow increasingly to be like Jesus. As he knocks on our heart's door to meet with us, we open it up and say, we want you, Jesus, more than anything else in our life. That's what changes our family, our community, and by the grace of God, our church's life, because it all starts and ends with Jesus. Do we want to know him more? My question really to you is this. Is Jesus welcome in your life? Is Jesus really welcome in your home? Is Jesus welcome in our church? Is he welcome when he tells you something you don't want to hear? Is he welcome whenever you hear the message of God being spoke and instead of being upset, you're humbled and convicted and repentant? Some of you say he's welcome as long as he says things like, I love you. I'm okay with that. But if he says, repent of your sin, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. That's not the Jesus that I want. If that's the case, it's an issue of lordship and sovereignty and submission in your life. Who is your ultimate authority? We all live by some kind of authority in our lives. Who is your authority? And so the word to Laodicea was simply that. And the church did continue there in Laodicea. In fact, around AD 363, there was a Christian council that was held there. So we see the church in Laodicea survived for a couple of centuries. Eventually this area was completely abandoned. And today there is really not a gospel witness in that area. Sadly, basically the whole region has gone lukewarm outside of a few scattered believers in that part of Turkey. There are a handful of believers scattered in the area, but it is not a place that is known for its Christianity in our world today. We as a people, the devil is not going 
to come through in America today and have the government carry us all off to jail because it's so much easier for him to distract us, to move us to lukewarmness, and to move us to being cold to the things of the gospel, to allow our hearts to drift, to no longer desire Jesus and his word. And then he's accomplished his mission because then the next generation knows nothing about Jesus. So we're going to close our time in prayer. And I think it's appropriate as we talk about the church to examine this church as a warning sign for us. Because church, the days coming ahead are not going to get any easier. It's going to be a more distinct line of, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, identifying as being a follower of Jesus and speaking out for the things of Jesus. This lukewarmness that has plagued the churches across America and many of us in our lives as well. It's either going to be, yes, I'm a follower or, eh, I don't know. We have a decision to make. We have to examine our hearts. How are we going to walk with Jesus individually, as a family, and corporately as a church? Are we lukewarm and indifferent? Is the light of the gospel starting to dim, or is it growing brighter and brighter and brighter as we continually repent of our sin and embrace our exalted king sitting upon a throne who is gracious who is good, who is merciful, and the one in whom we can trust. Isn't that reassuring? When the world around us is changing, when we sometimes don't know if what we're reading or hearing is truth, we hold truth in our hands and God's word that we can trust will never change. A God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, who loves you so much. The quote from our Bible study Tuesday night was, imagine thinking that there's nothing you could ever do for God to love you anymore Nothing you could do for him to ever love you any less. So reassuring. Do you want that Jesus? Do you want to have that relationship with him?